Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you look around, yeah, thank you, thank you, yeah. If you look around, you'll see a few extra seats. It's almost as if last night was New Year's Eve, and this is the 9 a.m. service. Uh, how many of you made it until midnight last night? All right, some did. Wonderful. How many of you were like me and were in bed by 10.30? Oh, yeah, there, there's more of us that were in bed by 10.30. And I would have been asleep except... Fireworks and a dog, they don't always go together. So uh, there was a lot of barking going on at my house last night by the dog, by the dog, yep. So it's great to have you here. Happy New Year. Uh, yeah, that's today, you guys. It's, it's New Year's. We're excited to start a new year walking with the Lord together, as Joel talked about. Uh, just a reminder, we've talked about the Bible in a year reading plan that we're doing as a church. Today would be the first day of that, and so you can find information about that Bible in a year reading plan that we're doing, either online on our website, on our app, or there's actually sheets out at the Welcome Center that you can pick up that give you more information about that as well. We are closing up our sermon series called uh, The Unexpected Expected Today, about the birth of Jesus. And as we do so, we are going to be looking at a passage that covers first few weeks of Jesus' life and events from the first few weeks of Jesus' life. It's going to be in Luke chapter 2, and so I'd invite you to take your Bibles and open there. The passage verses that we're going to look at today are not going to appear on the screen, so uh, you may want to open up and Bibles or devices to Luke 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 38 today. And as we see baby Jesus in these verses... We're going to see him interact with four different adults. One of those adults is Mary, his mother. Another one of those adults is Joseph, his stepfather. And then there are going to be two older adults, uh, advanced in years, I believe is the language we've been taught to use, who they're going to meet in the temple. Their names are Simeon and Anna. And as I read this passage and read about these four adults and the way that they interact with God and interact with baby Jesus, the word that kept flashing to the front of my mind was devotion. They are devoted, dedicated, single-minded in their desire for God. They're devoted to God. They're devoted to baby Jesus. When I think about devotion... Uh, I think about a story I read years ago in an interview with a guy named uh, Luciano Pavarotti. Uh, you may not know who that is, but when I was a kid, Pavarotti was the most famous opera singer in the world. And he grew up in a home in Moderna, Italy, with a father who was a baker. A baker, but loved music. And so he began to teach his son about music, and he began to teach his son to sing at an early age. But as Luciano grew up, it became clear that he was going to need more training if he was going to excel as a singer than what his baker father could get him. And so his father entered into an agreement with a tenor in the local opera there in Moderna, Italy, to give him regular voice lessons. And Pavarotti began regular voice lessons with this tenor. But as he moved through life, he began to uh, go through the normal educational cycle that people in his day and age went through, reaching a place where he graduated with a degree 
in teaching. He had his, his college degree in teaching, and now he was ready to go and become a teacher. But there was something inside of him that desperately wanted to pursue becoming a professional singer. And so he went to his father, the baker, and asked for his advice. What should I do, Dad? Do I, do I follow in the, the footsteps of my degree and go and become a teacher? That's what I'm trained to do now. Or do I try to become a professional singer? His father's advice was this. Luciano, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. Pavarotti would later recount, I chose one chair. It took seven years from that point of study and frustration and living like a pauper before I made my first professional appearance. It took another seven years from there before my first appearance ever at the Metropolitan Opera. And Pavarotti goes on and says, and now I think, whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. Commitment, that's the key. Choose one chair. That is a picture of devotion, right? Choose one chair. And that's the life of a follower of Jesus. We are those who have decided to choose one chair to follow after Jesus with our life. It is the great desire of our heart. It is what we dedicate our days to, to knowing him and following after him. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, you can't have two masters. Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, there can't be anything more important than me. And as he goes through the Gospels, he says, family can't be more important than me. Money can't be more important than me. Your own life and dreams and desires can't be more important to me. You have to give up your life in order to have true life with me. He says, you can't go through life bearing that old yoke of your dreams and your desires. You have to set that yoke aside and get under my yoke. And then when you're living for me, there is real rest for your soul. Genuine rest for your soul. Single chair devotion. That's what our desire is as his followers. We want day in and day out for him to be the priority, for him to be the pursuit of our lives. And that's what we see from these four main characters in our account today. So as we walk through this passage, today is a family Sunday. And I want to get some family help in walking through this passage. And so I would like to invite uh, four Waskowskis to come and join me up on the stage at this point. And we have costumes for them, uh, costumes because I didn't know who was going to be here today that might fit some and won't fit others. That's okay. Okay, and of you Waskowskis, uh, well, first of all, let's find out who you are. All right, let me turn this on. Wow, you are grabbing for it already, aren't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, Jada. My I'm name is Jada. Okay. And... Oh, wait, wait, wait. How, how old are you, Jada? I'm seven. You're seven. Okay, wonderful. And you are really shy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Elisha, and I'm 13. My name is Tristan, and I'm 14. My name is Lindy. And that, you don't, you, that's okay. Yeah. We're good. Yep. I wasn't going to tell okay, you. Okay, okay. Sorry. 
forgot to cut that off. Wonderful. Okay, so you guys, I, I need two, I need a, a boy and a girl who are willing to be Mary and Joseph. Elisha, and, okay, <laughs> Jada, looks like you guys might be willing to be Mary and Joseph, and so I've got costumes for you guys. And Mary might need uh, a baby Jesus to carry, if you're willing. And Joseph, I have uh, two doves for you. Whoops. Oh. You know how they say everything tastes like chicken? Well, up here on stage, every bird looks like chicken. So uh, we're going to give you these two turtle doves uh, or pigeons. Okay. Uh, and then for you guys, uh, I am going to have you guys be our Simeon and Anna. So you guys can come over here. Actually, I'm going to have you just kind of hang out over on this side, and you guys can wrap those around your necks. That might work best. Wonderful. Okay, and as they're getting dressed, let me set the stage a little bit, recognizing that I have a little bit of competition. Uh, here, here's what's going on in this passage. We are looking at events from the first few weeks of Jesus' life, and as we do, so, wow, you guys look so nice. Look at you. As we do so, in verse 21, the first thing we see is that Jesus is circumcised. We're not acting that out up here, all right? And it's on the eighth day, the way that God commanded Abraham to do it in Genesis chapter 17, verse 12. This is also the day when they give Jesus his name the name that God told them to give him, the Savior. He saves from their sins. He is Jesus. Then, after 33 more days of purification that Mary goes through after the birth of a child, now it is time for them to come after those 41 days of, of purification to come to the temple, and they are going to offer the appropriate sacrifices for someone who has had a baby boy. God has commanded that the firstborn son, you need to come and make certain offerings for that child. And so Mary and Joseph are coming to make offerings for that child the way that Leviticus 12 said. Here you go, Joseph. Wonderful. There's your offerings. Okay, so Mary and Joseph, you guys, we'll, we'll, we'll say this is the place you need to lay your offerings, okay? So you guys come over here, yep, and you lay your offerings down. Wonderful. Absolutely. Now, you guys, Leviticus 12 says that you are supposed to offer a lamb and a bird for the offering for a firstborn son. Now, you do not have a lamb and a bird, right? Why not? Say, because that's not what you gave me, right? Yes, it's not on you guys, right? Why, why did I give you these two birds? Because that's what Mary and Joseph offered. Because Leviticus chapter 12 says, if you're poor enough and you can't afford a lamb, you can just offer two doves or two pigeons. And Mary and Joseph did exactly that. They just offered two doves or two pigeons because they were among the poor. It is a reminder to us that being poor is not a curse from God. Being poor is precisely the situation that God sent his son into. And as we read through the rest of the Gospel of Luke, we see that the poor actually have distinct advantages because they don't have the same kinds of things that get in the way of seeing all of eternity and living for eternity. God sent his son into this poverty. They came and they offered their two birds as an offering in order to redeem their baby boy before the Lord. And then they continued on, and as they continued on, 
they met an old man named Simeon. Come on over here, Simeon. Oh, no, you're right. You, no, you're good right there. Perfect. All right. They met an old man named Simeon. Now, early church tradition says that Simeon was about 100 years old. Okay, so Simeon, uh, what would a 100-year-old man look like? Yeah, a little, little hunched over maybe. Absolutely. Uh, walking kind of slow. Yep, there you go. That's the walk of a 100-year-old. I'm confident of that. We don't know exactly how old Simeon was, but we do know that according to verse 29, as soon as he meets Jesus, he says, I'm ready to go. He's old enough that he is ready. Like This is the only thing left for him in his life before he is ready to go. But not only is Simeon old, we are told that he is righteous and devout and filled with the Spirit. Right? Should we talk to your dad about your righteousness and your right? righteous, devout, filled with the Spirit? And the Spirit of God had told Simeon that he would not die until he had an opportunity to meet what verse 25 refers to as the consolation of Israel, a, a word that means helper or savior, the savior of Israel. And Simeon was led on this particular day by the Spirit of God into the temple so that he could meet Jesus there. And when he meets Mary and Joseph and Jesus, Simeon asks if he can hold Jesus. All right, so this is different than the way our kids' ministry works. There's, there's no tags, no registration. They just hand their child right over. All right, I figure, I think they figured if Simeon starts to run at 100, they can catch him and those kinds of things. Simeon now looks at Jesus and pronounces a prophetic blessing upon him. All right, here, here is what you said, Simeon. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon had a bucket list of one item. I want to see the Savior. God had told him that he would see the Savior. And he says, now that I have seen this one thing that I wanted in my life, I'm ready to go. I've seen your salvation. I've seen the Savior. And you notice he mentions it's a light to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And we're told that Mary and Joseph marvel at what he is proclaiming in verse 33, right? They marvel, or your version may say they were amazed, right? Okay, is that your marvel? What is your marvel? Oh, yeah, that's good. I like that. Absolutely. Now Simeon turns particularly to Mary And speaks directly to her. And he tells her that this child is going to be the fall and the rise of many in Israel. And the word that's used here for rise is the same word that's used for resurrection. He's going to be the falling and the resurrection of many in Israel. That he is going to lay bare what is true in people's hearts. And ultimately, what Simeon tells Mary is that this child is going to be the very center of people's lives. Whether or not their life falls or rises depends entirely on how they react to this baby. And then he speaks hard words to Mary. And he says in verse 34 and 35 that a sword is going to pierce her own soul too when it comes to this child. 
right? Mary has sad face. Can you do sad face for me? Okay, that's close. That's kind of a sad face. Yep. Think about what Simeon has prophesied here. Right? He holds baby Jesus and prophesies about Mary's mom's heart and how it is going to hurt during that time when her son is taken prisoner, beaten, and ultimately killed on the cross. More than that, he has prophesied that this child is going to be the fall and the rise of people, depending on how they react to him, how they treat him. And so Simeon gives the child back to Mary, and Simeon at this point disappears from the pages of Scripture, and I have no doubt is quickly taken home to be with the Lord. Right, Simeon, thank you so much. You can go and, and hang out over there. Mary and Joseph are still in wonder and awe at all that has gone on, and they continue to wander through the temple, and they meet another older person named Anna. Anna was married for seven years, but then her husband passed away, and she has spent the rest of her time as a widow, and she is now 84 years old. How does Anna spend her days? She spends her days in prayer and regular fasting in the temple. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says not just her days. What does the Scripture say? Night and day, day and night. She is there in the temple praying before the Lord, regularly fasting before the Lord. And so when Mary and Joseph come upon Anna, it's distinctly possible that she is praying and crying out for the very Savior that they hold in their arms. And when she comes upon Mary and Joseph, we're told that she gives thanks. She gives thanks for Jesus. She gives thanks for the Savior. She gives thanks for the opportunity that she has in order to see the Redeemer of God's people. And then we're told that having given thanks, Anna begins to tell everyone who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. There is this faithful remnant probably regularly gathering within the temple, who are all awaiting the Savior. They're all awaiting the Redeemer. They are in prayer that God would save his people. And so Anna goes and begins to tell everyone about the redemption and that the Redeemer is here. Can we give a, a round of applause to all of our... Thank you, guys. You're wonderful. You guys can take all those with you for now. Karine will collect them. And a big thank you to Karine for getting our costumes ready for everyone. Mary, Joseph, Simeon, Anna. Uh, the thing that I think they all have in common is this devotion to the Lord. They are devoted. And we can see their devotion in their obedience. You can see their devotion to God in their obedience. In Luke chapter 1, Mary hears what would have been crazy news, right, from an angel, that she's going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And having been overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, she is going to give birth to God in the flesh, despite the fact that she is a virgin. All of this crazy news is given to her, and what is her response? Let it be to me as you have said. I am ready to obey. In Matthew chapter 1, Joseph 
has an angel come in a dream and tell him that that woman that you were going to marry that's pregnant with a baby that's not yours, you should still go ahead and marry her. And with that information, what does Joseph do? He immediately goes and is obedient to what God has called him to. Here in this passage, they're being obedient to everything that God has commanded in the Old Testament. They circumcise the child on the day he's supposed to be circumcised. They name him exactly what God said he should be named. They observe the number of ritual days of purification that Mary was supposed to observe. And when that's done, they come and offer all of the offerings that were required of them. They are being obedient in everything God commanded, big and small, because they don't see anything that God has commanded as small. They're obedient in absolutely every way. And it is a symbol of their devotion to God. We know that Mary and Joseph sit in one chair because they're obedient in all that they seek to do. Simeon is obedient to the Spirit's leading as he comes to the temple that day. Anna's being obedient as she prays and fasts before the Lord and then tells everybody about the Savior that is to come. Because a sign of our genuine one-chair devotion to God is that we seek to be obedient to Him in all things in our life. That's true for us. When Jesus gave the Great Commission... In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, he says that we're to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. Everything that I've commanded, uh, my disciples are to be taught to obey. And so it is important to us as we enter into a new year that we are devoted to knowing what God has said, to understanding and being able to correctly apply what God has said, and then to living out what God has said. Obey all that He has commanded us. That's our desire as we enter into this new year as devoted followers of Jesus. The other way that we can see their devotion in this passage is their eager anticipation to meet Jesus. We can see Simeon and Anna are devoted because they're so anxious to meet Jesus. When we find Simeon, what is he doing? Right? Simeon is excited to hold Jesus. He's been promised that he won't, he won't die before he has an opportunity to meet him. This is the one thing that he wants more than anything else. Anna's so excited to run up and, and give thanks for Jesus and tell people about Jesus. There has been this eager anticipation in her life as she has been in prayer night and day in the temple pleading with the Lord for his Savior to come eager anticipation that is a sign of their devotion. Their eager anticipation for Jesus' first coming is a a reminder of our anticipation, our eager anticipation as believers for Jesus' second coming. We have, maybe over the course of the last week, been able to get little glimpses of what eager anticipation looks like if you have been at any sort of gift opening with a kid. Right? Um, when I was young, we would do uh, Christmas at my grandparents' house, and I would sleep on the living room floor with my cousins in the same room where all the gifts were. And, and we would 
try to go to sleep and we wouldn't be able to. And one parent would come out and say, hey, you guys need to stop it. Everybody's trying to sleep. You need to, to quiet down. So we'd try to go to sleep and we'd fail. And another parent would come out, hey, you guys, we need you to keep it down. And we'd try to go to sleep and we'd fail. And, and we would be up so long that night because we were so excited to open gifts. And we'd get up the following morning and our parents and grandparents would try and get us to do other stuff. Come on, let's go eat breakfast. Come on, let's go read this. Come on, let's go do this. And we would just sit there by the tree like, come on, what are we doing? This is it. And one, one year, I think I've confessed this to you before, I got so eager about my gifts that I went and rifled through my parents' closet mid-December to try and find out what I could find in there. What, what do they have for me? There is this eager anticipation that kids have about presents on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. So excited about that. And it's just a, a tiny picture that reflects the eager anticipation that we as believers have to be with Jesus. To be with Him each and every day in worship, yes, but to ultimately be with Jesus when he returns. That's our great desire. Hebrews uh, chapter 10, if I can find it here. I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 27 and 28 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back and he's going to save those who are devoted to him. And you can tell those who are devoted to him because as Hebrews 9 says, well, what are they doing? They're eagerly awaiting his return. We love him more than anything and we can't wait to be fully and finally united with him. And so you can see that devotion of a follower of Jesus because of that eager anticipation that they have to meet him. Every week when we take the Lord's Supper together, part of what we do is participate in eager anticipation. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm not going to drink of this cup again until we drink it anew right, in the kingdom that is to come. And so there is, every time we come to the table, this anticipation and looking forward that we have as believers to that time when we are fully and finally united with our Savior. And so we have that, that excitement and that eagerness as we go to the table. As we go to the Lord's Supper today, I want to encourage you to think about that, 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 that eagerness that we have to be with Him. I also, during this time, want us to examine our hearts and our lives to see if there is any way in which we're getting pulled between two chairs. Jesus says, being my follower means sitting in the one chair of dedication to me. I, I'm your purpose. I, I am the pursuit of your days. Like, this is what it means to be my follower. Satan's design is to take believers and try and pull them off of that chair with other priorities in their life. And so I'd love for you to just take a few minutes and examine your life. Is there any way in which you're being pulled off of that seat of Christ as the priority? 
Uh, would you bow your heads with me? And before we go to the Lord's table, just spend a couple of minutes in confession, if necessary, about any ways in which you're getting pulled off of that one chair of commitment to Christ.